coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. So four years ago, I was a cyclist hit by a truck. Uh, oh, no. Very many injuries. <laughs> yeah. How can I rebuild my resilience when time and obligations keep beating me down? How honest can I be with you? Very. You're not going to like it, Chantel. What is going on? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. My favorite mental health and relationship and marriage and parenting podcast. I would hope it's actually, it's not even my favorite. There's a couple others that are way better, but I'm so glad. (laughs) Kelly's like, what are you talking about? This is my show. Hey, I'm so glad that you're with us. Um, here's, Here's the premise of the show. Real people going through real stuff in real time. And my promise is I will sit with you and I'll walk alongside you as we figure out what's the next right move. What's the next thing we're going to do here? Um, and it could be around your your mental health diagnostics. It could be around dealing with trauma, dealing with loss, dealing with marriage issues, with parenting, whatever's going on in your world. My promises, I'll tell you the truth and we'll walk alongside each other. Um, if you want to be on this show, go to johndeloney.com slash ask, A-S-K, johndeloney.com slash ask. And um, man, I'd love you having you on the show. Leave a write write a message, write write a uh, what's going on in your life, and it goes to Jenna and Kelly, and then they will get you on the show. All right, let's go out to Edmonton, Canada, and talk to Elaine. What's up, Elaine? Um, the sky. <laughs> <laughs> well, well played, Elaine. Well played. I hope that felt good. Hope that. What's up? What's up? Um. Well. Um, so my husband recently had a psychotic break, um, ended up in a, um, mental facility for a couple of weeks. Um, he's now out. Um, how do I help him work through some of the craziness of that time? And how do I and our kids deal with what happened? Yikes. It's scary. Tell me about it. What happened? Um, It's okay. Take a breath. Take a breath. You're all good. Did it happen in your home? Um, sort of. Um, so hold on. I just, I just want to acknowledge for everybody: if you've never been around this, if you've never um seen somebody that you care about have a psychotic break, or if you've never been with somebody, it's terrifying, right? It's like out of a movie. Scary, scary, scary stuff. And you see the person that you love and care about right in front of you, and they are gone. And it is scary, right? Yeah, like um, one of the nurses in the first, second hospital we went to, um, actually, you just can't make this stuff up. Like, you just can't. Um, hey, do me a favor, Elaine. Um, talk directly into the phone for sorry. me, okay? That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, no, I have it away from my ear. <laughs> okay, yeah. Anyways, um, so, yeah, so he, there's been a lot of, uh, stressors over the last few years, but particularly in the last uh, couple months. Um, and so, like, I would say it was brought on by lack of sleep. You talk about how important sleep is. I cannot stress that enough. Um, in the end, he was sleeping maybe between one and a half to three hours a night living on caffeine and energy drinks. Um, not a good thing. Yeah, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough, so, uh, yeah. that's tough for your body to um, handle. Hmm. Yeah, and, you know, so give a little bit of history. He had lost, he, he'd lost his job due to COVID at the end of 21, um, got a new job in 22, ended up getting laid off from that one in January of 23. And had just started a new job in March, and it was um, it was a good job, but very very stressful. Right. He enjoyed it, but like I say, there was a lot of stress around it, um, and that was just one of multiple things. And um, Canada's been so particularly last, difficult over the last few years, right? Yeah, we won't even go there. Well, I, <laughs> here's like I, I um, some psychotic breaks are are brought on by like a schizophrenic diagnostic, right? It, it, it's not the diagnosis that does it, but you have a schizophrenic mind um, or you've got some, some alterations in your neurochemistry in your brain, right? Other right. psychotic breaks are brought on by, you don't sleep for two months 
and you live off, you know, uh, adenosine antagonists, you live off caffeine and it makes you, um, it alters the reality of your brain, right? And one day you wake up and it's, you're, you've, to, an ugly way of saying is that you snapped, right? And your body checks out. It, it loses touch with reality over time. And so there's, and there's a long spectrum in between that. But what's important is also there's a context. There is an, and there's an ecosystem where this is all taking place. And we, we often forget that. Right. It's like the couple who calls yeah. or the, the, the mom who calls and says, um, my marriage is falling apart. And then they tell me they have four kids under the age of seven. Well, it's like, well, if, <laughs> it's not your marriage is falling apart. Your house is insane. And so being a candidate <laughs> over the last three years has been really, really hard. And if you are listening to this going, what? I don't know anything about that. Just go back and check it out. There's been all this government clash. If you think California is bad, what they, what Canada's had to endure has been madness. And you put that on top of a bunch of job loss on top of, on top of, on top of, and now you get a recipe, right? For yeah, you lose your husband. So what, when he went to the psych ward, staying, staying at a ward for two weeks tells me there was some pretty significant things going on. That wasn't just a three day, get some sleep and get some food in you. And let's get you a, yeah. like a, a, yeah. a, a treatment plan at home. What was going on? Well, going into that, the last, I would say I noticed things going off the rails for him the last week before. But, of course, we've never been through this before. Um, we've been married almost 36 years, so it's not like, you know, I didn't know him or anything. Um, and so, yeah, the last week things started getting very odd, very weird. And then he went to, on the weekend it was, things started really going off the rails. He kind of lost it on me, which in a way that isn't normal for him whatsoever. Um, but when he got, and, to, when he got and, to the, when he got to the hospital, did they give him a diagnosis of anything? Well, no, see, he left work early on the, on the Monday and then he was talking to me on the phone and then he kind of went off the grid. We had no idea where he was. Okay. Um, eventually he was, <laughs> climbing on a ledge and stuff in a car wash. And so they called 911 and the cops and he had no ID on him and got to the hospital and I'm looking all over for him. I thought I knew where he'd gone, but he hadn't got there out to this remote place where he wanted just some time alone. Um, and so he was in the hospital for about two hours, I think before I got a call. Um, and then uh, when I got there, he had been sedated. And when he came to, he was mostly himself, like not 100%, obviously. Um, the doctor came in, talked to him for a bit. Yeah, originally, they said they were going to have a psych eval done. And then he released him to me um, because he was doing so well. The moment he said they were going to release him, he started going off a little bit. Um, but we went home and, you know, knowing that sleep is an issue, he went to sleep. And then, um, this sounds really odd, but he'd been walking around in fields for like three hours before that. And so just as he went to sleep, discovered some ticks. And so, like the insect ticks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so started dealing with that. And, of course, then he was, woke up and um, he started panicking. It's not safe. It's not safe. Can't be here. It's not safe. And our one son lives just, we have an acreage, but we're on the edge of town. And our son lives basically a couple doors down and he took off running and went to his house. So ulti oh, wow. ultimately he was put back in the hospital for an extended stay. Did they give him a diagnosis of yeah. bipolar disorder, of schizophrenia? It would be a strange to no. be this late, but... They ultimately just yeah. said he, he needed some sleep. He burned himself out completely, just detached from reality for a while. They did toss around bipolar a little bit, but um, it, it doesn't really stick, the diagnosis, because it's not like going back, right? So right. Well, t tell, me, tell me, I'm trying to get to how I can help you now. So yeah. when, when they discharged yeah. him, what did they tell you? Well... Uh, that's a very difficult question to answer because 
I was never allowed to actually meet with the doctors. Um, Did I, he not sign a release? He signed a release, but I don't think it says in there anything about bipolar. Um, well, well, so it, here, here's here's step one. Okay. Mm-hmm. If if he is on the same page with you, is he on the same page with you? Yes. Okay. He needs to contact his mental health provider, the doctors who are with him. And I don't know how Canada's system works. They would have given you a social worker here in the States to help you navigate everything. So whenever one of my students yeah. would go into a psych ward, I would go sit. And the first person I would talk to is the social worker who helps them navigate all the different doctors and people coming in and out. Um, and have him sign a release that says, I need you to tell my wife everything that you found and to walk her through what my next steps can be. So she can be, and here's the magic word, she can be an advocate for me. And Yeah, I, I did, was able to talk with a social worker involved. Okay. Um, but when I would start asking some of the more medical side of things, uh, she wasn't as clear as what I could have hoped for. So it, she, he did sign a release when he was there so that I could get information and our oldest son as well. Okay. Um, so I would re I would reestablish a meeting with her now that he's been home for a little bit and ask her some very pointed questions, very direct. Um, how many hours a night should he sleep? Should he have access to the internet? Is, is caffeine completely off the table? It, like... Let, make them with as kind as you can be, make them give you a outpatient treatment protocol. And that's okay. the magic words, outpatient treatment protocol. You are his advocate. You're walking alongside him and they might say he needs to go see a counselor. He's had a lot of job loss, which is very tough. He's had a very tough run of it in the last few years. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to come up with the plan. The second thing is both you and him have to recognize the free fall terror that is losing control of your own body. It's yeah. scary to see that in yourself to think I did what I did all those things and the police are describing where they got you and you have no memory of that. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, or he has a little bit of a memory and it terrifies him. And then for you, he's your rock. He's the guy. And if he can suddenly find himself climbing on top of a car wash and not know how he got there, the question you're, you're suddenly the ice, I mean, the sidewalk you walk on, it becomes very thin ice, right? It's, it's hard to put your foot down. I don't want to set him off. I don't want to do the wrong thing. What do I say? What do I do? Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you have this plan together, the second step is y'all build a new marriage. How long? 36 years in? Is that what you said? In a couple weeks, yep. Congrat this is a perfect time. Now you can build something completely new with the knowledge that, hey man, like you found out how far you can be pushed and we found it. I'm glad we we're grateful that we know this. Who are we going to become now? And you you might become people who turn the TV off at 4 p.m. And y'all just sit on the front porch and talk to each other and play cards and whatever. You might become people who take walks every day and y'all are both in bed with the lights out at nine o'clock. And you used to never be that. You used to be out dancing. Well, this is a new thing we're building now. Does that make, do you see what I'm saying? And let, give him a yeah. content. We're a couple who every night we check in with each other. How are you feeling today? What are you thinking today? And you just give each other a few minutes of space to talk. He, so, Normally, the things that are highly, highly therape therapeutics, kind of a dramatic word, are healing at home after these moments are things like skin-to-skin -skin contact. Things like, I want to mm -hmm. hold your hand for um, 30 seconds every morning, and I want to hold your hand 30 seconds when you get home from work. I just want to hold you. Can I just hug you for 30 seconds, and we'll count it out. The reason I'm hesitating to give you anything like that is I don't that might be what sets off his psychosis. And so without looking at the doctor's report, it's, I don't want to give you a bunch of things to do. I think the key will be him having the courage to tell you what he needs on a given day and you having the bravery and courage to listen to him and then to love him. And here's the hard part. 
You tell him what you need. Don't treat him with a glass slipper. Do the opposite. Give him some purpose and a role inside that house, and it will anchor him. See what I'm saying? And that's hard right now. It's very hard because you you want to you want to touch everything with a velvet glove, right? You want to be very careful not to set anything off. And if I just say the wrong thing or move the wrong thing, and what that does is that puts his body back on high alert because the one anchor he's got is you, and you're acting different. You're acting scared and anxious, and and so it, it just becomes this this repeating cycle here. Whereas you say, "Hey, I love you," and and when you take the trash out, can you help me out? That can be such a gift. See what I'm saying? Yeah, hey. like right now, like we, we've had some of those discussions, you know, where I've told him like, I'm on high alert for him, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't ever want to go down this path again. He doesn't want to go down this path again. Um, it was pretty traumatic to stay in there. That's right. Um, there Ter- some- terrifying in there. Yes. Yeah, like, as he says, it's a very dark place. Yes, it's a scary dark place. Yes. It is. It is. And, you know, there's there's good that has come of it already um, in terms of, you know, him understanding more being more compassionate toward people who are dealing with stuff like that. Yeah, but that's all external. He needs to be very compassionate with him. Yeah, and I think he's finally getting there to where Good. he is being more open with himself. And, and, you know, I've listened to your show for quite a while, and you talk about, you know, asking your spouse, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. And I have asked that over and over, and he often says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, and I've noticed he's starting to be able to say those things. Excellent. This is what I need right now. And so let me say it's this, huge. and this is for you and for everybody, and that's awesome. And you kept, sh- and here, here's the important thing. You kept showing up, and you kept showing up, and you kept showing up. Most people will say, what do you need today? I don't know, man, I don't know. Hey, how can I love you today? I don't know. And then they never ask again. And that's not you. You kept showing up, you kept showing up, you kept showing up. And eventually, when he realized, oh, I need a lot, you were there. Because you had laid a, you'd laid a, like a brick road that he could walk on. Also. If the question, what do you need? What do you need after a week, after two weeks? If they don't have an answer to that, maybe ask a different question. Put your hand on his chest and say, where are you, where are you tense today? Where are you anxious today? Is it in your shoulders? Is it in your chest? Is it in your forearms? Like, where is it today? Is it on your feet? And tell him where it is on you. And here's all we're doing. We're getting to the base layer because sometimes, um, and I'm guilty of this. Sometimes we turn, um, what do you need today? What do you need today? In a transaction of activity. What do you need today? Well, I need this, this, and this. All right. I'll do those three things. What do you need today? I need this, this, and this. All that is great, but that sits, that's not the, that's not the base layer that sits on top of, I see you and I'm with you and I'm here for you. And those three things are so grounding and it makes it very challenging for a body to be in chaos when it is connected with other people in that rooted way. And so it may be, uh, what do you need today? What do you need today? What do you need today? Man, where are you? So maybe you you shift the question. Where are you scared today? What are you scared about today? What do you really, give me one thing. You got to give me one thing you're really excited about today. What is one hot romantic thing we can do today? You get one and I get one. What is one physical activity we can do today? Like begin to branch it out a little bit and give him some um, some cues there. But all of this, let's be clear, all of this is going to stem from all of these activities at home are going to stem from you going back to the, the social worker and really pressing on an outpatient treatment plan. What, based on y'all's expertise, all these doctors and all these tests and two weeks in a psych ward, well, I don't know how it is in Canada. In the U.S. would be very expensive because there would be a million different um, professionals that came in and out of there. Um, In y'all's expertise, what are some things that my husband needs? 
and you and him go away and build, like just dream together. We got scared. We got scared. Woo. We made it. We're here. We're back. Here's my promise to you, Elaine. Walking around all tense, arms clenched, hands clenched, chest clenched, heart clenched, is a recipe for a very anxious house. And the goal here is to create a non-anxious house. Okay? Non-anxious house. So um, hang on the line here. I'm going to send you two decks of both of the couple's questions for humans. And this is just something you and him can do. Y'all can make a ritual out of it. And there's 52 cards in each deck. This can get you 104 days. And every day you can just sit down and agree to do one card together over, uh, I was going to say over coffee. Probably not. Over <laughs> over warm warm water and chamomile tea. But y'all can have this conversation together. And, it's, and again, we are bridging back to one another. We're going to follow this plant treatment plan and we're going to figure out creative ways to ask each other, how can I love you today? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does that taste like? How can I love you today? He is really, really lucky to have you. Elaine, I know this is a scary, scary, scary season. And I hate that for y'all. If you've never been to a psych ward, folks, it is a scary, dark place. It's scary when you lose trust in your own body. It's scary when you lose trust in the person who is the anchor of the family. And this is the moment when you can you can do one of two things. You can walk away from the collapse of the building or y'all can exhale and be sad and grieve it and then ask yourselves, what are we going to build next? We'll be right back. This show is brought to you by Hallow. Almost every day, whether I'm doing my red light therapy, driving to work, listening to the Gregorian chants on the airplane, or just sitting on my front porch, I spend time using Hallow, my go-to app for guided prayer, music, and meditation. And right now, I'm going through a particularly stressful time. I got big deadlines, big speeches coming up in front of thousands of people, end of school and other family transitions, and on and on. And recently... I made a decision amidst all the chaos to dive even deeper into my faith and spiritual practices, and Hallow is leading the way. Hallow is the number one prayer and meditation app in the world. They have 10,000-plus audio-guided prayers and meditations, including daily prayers, daily gospel reflections, daily psalm readings, daily writings, minute meditations, and more. And there are places for people in Hallow who are skeptical and new to this whole faith conversation— and there's places for those who have been swimming in these waters their entire life and who just want to go deeper. And there are stories, audiobooks, and other special things for kids and focuses on mental and emotional health. For listeners of the Dr. John Deloney Show, Hallow will give you three free months. That's all 10,000 plus prayers, meditations, music, lecture series, all of it. Three free months. If you go to hallow.com slash Deloney. That's Hallow, H-A-L-L-O-W dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go to Eric in Winchester. What's up, Eric? How you doing, Dr. John? Party any money. What are you up to? Oh, not much. Just taking my break at work. There you go. What's yeah, up, man? How, say, how can I help? I just want to say before we start, I want to say thank you because over the last few months, you've really been a been a big factor in my personal development and I appreciate you taking my call today. Well, I'm grateful for you listening, man. And, um, never forget, I'm just a clown on a podcast or on YouTube, man. You're the one actually having to make hard choices every day. So uh, props to you, brother. It's awesome. So what's happening? I got one that's pretty big today and um, it's something I've kind of been stuck on, but I, I really need some, some advice. All right. Hey, do me um, a favor. Talk directly into your phone. Okay. Can you hear me now, sir? Perfect. That's awesome. Fantastic. So, um, over the course of my life, my uh, my father has not been the best husband to my mother. He's constantly, you know, been, I'd say, disrespectful towards her, and he's always had extra marital things going on. Um, and it's kind of, as I've gotten older and I've had a son, there are things that he's done that I've vowed to never do. And they've kind of become part of a moral code for me, like cheating, lying. Those are two really big things for me that are absolute no goes. Um, so my question is today is that, uh, I'm at a crossroads where I'm trying to figure out if I should remove my father from my life because of the way he treats my mother or if I should stay out of their marriage problems. Um, I think there's a third option. 
I think okay. that you are, if you weaponize your son as a way mm-hmm. to intervene in their marriage, that's a no-go. Okay. That's a way to get your kid burned. That's a way to get to, that's just a way to get your mom in more mess. Um, mm-hmm. If you choose to only have men of character in your son's life, then you can look at your dad and he has opted out of your son's life because of the way he's chosen to live. And so that's a different proposition. If you, this would be a very difficult conversation to have, but if you sat down and looked across the table and said, dad, um, and by the way, I would use very specific language, not, you know, you've had some extramarital thing. You've cheated on my mom. And I will never know what was going on behind closed doors. I don't know how she treated you behind closed. I mean, I don't know any of that stuff. I know you cheated on my mom over and over and over again. I know you don't tell the truth all the time. And I'm committed to having only men in my son's life who are men of character. And now the choice is on you. You could have that call, that conversation with your old man. It would be a powerful conversation. It probably will not go well. Um, but man, it would be one where you would walk real tall. And if you did, especially yeah. if you did it in a respectful, dignified way, not on the back end of a fight, like, oh, y- y'all are four Bush tall boys into a fight. And you're like, oh, you, I tell you, don't do it like that. But if you went down and had a man-to-man conversation, it could be pretty incredible. But if you say, you can't see my grandson until you treat my mom right, then, then you're using your, your son as a pawn. And now, now it's just going to make a mess. Yeah, I, I can. I completely understand. I I decided to, to to call in to ask you for your opinion because I consulted with other men that I consider of uh, integrity and high value, and it was kind of a split decision. Um, one one of the men that I consulted with, they suggested to not get involved in marriage problems that are you know that I'm not a part of the marriage, and then another uh, individual that I consulted with, he had said that. If you've made a commitment to only only allowing certain types of people in your life, whether they're your parent or not, does not justify or excuse their behavior. And that's where it's been really conflicting with me because with my friends or cousins or whoever, if you cheat uh, on your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend, whoever it may be, there is something inside me that says, well, if you're not going to tell them I am, and if I lose your relationship, if I lose a relationship with you because of it, then I'm okay with that. And my dad's kind of been the exception for so long because he's my dad. And it does, it does not feel right anymore. It's never felt right, but it just feels like our relationship is broken and wounded because of these decisions. And he's actually taken me with him when I was younger, um, when he was doing, when he was cheating on my mother before. Mm. And, um, so that I, was honestly, go ahead. That was honestly the hardest thing to unpack. And actually your show actually helped me unpack that because, um, for a long time, it was really hard to accept that he had did that. And then two days later I had to go see my mom and basically I felt compelled at 13 to lie to her that, you know, basically cover up for him, you know? Yeah. I, I'm nervous about you channeling that inner pain. What your dad did to you sucks, man. What your dad did to you is, is immoral and it's wrong. And like you said, a grown up put a 13 year old in, in, in a very precarious position and now, how old are you? I'm 28, sir. You're 28, man. You're still beating up that 13 year old for not having more courage. You gotta, you gotta lay off that 13 year old, man. That was tough. That was madness. Because you know as well as I do, it, you can look back now and be like, I should have done this. I should have done this. But you're looking back now through a 28 year old man's body. That 13 year old would have got his head knocked off. Or if he didn't, mom might have. And so you got you to gotta let that 13-year-old off the hook because what's, turning, what's happening is you're turning into Batman. You're turning into a vigilante. And you are playing God over other people's relationships. My rule of thumb is 
if I've got somebody in my life that has an ongoing affair with somebody, I am choosing to not be around them. If there somebody opts me into this conversation, let's say um, I'll, I'll make up something. Uh, a close buddy of mine, let's say he's cheating on somebody for a long, long time. Like he's got a year affair going on with somebody at work. And his wife calls me and said, I think something's going on. I know you love my husband. I know y'all are close. But I feel like something's wrong. Something's going off the rails. What I would do is I would call my buddy and say, your wife has brought me into this. And she's somebody I care for and be willing to lay down my life for as well. Because she's in our gang. You got 48 hours. Because I'm not going to lie to your wife. But if she doesn't bring me into that, I'm not going to go around nuking things because I have this inner 13-year-old that is so pissed at himself for not defending his mom over 15 years ago. But I am going to opt out of a relationship with that person. I'm not going to hang out with that guy because I don't hang out with guys like that. Yeah. And you see how, you see how in my voice, how simple it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, an, it's just an opt-out. And if one of my buddies screwed up and had a one-night stand or found himself like head over heels for somebody for a month at work, like, it, I would sit with him, man. I'm not going to abandon you in that. But also, if somebody's having an affair for over a year, they would know, they know me, right? They're my, they're my friend. They know what my opinion's going to be on that. They know I'm not going to mince words about that. And so that's number one. Number two is, this is hard for what I'm about to say, okay? But your mom didn't invite you into this. If your mom had called you and said, I need help, your dad's out of control. That's one thing. But you are deciding I'm going to out-adult my mom. And she has had her reasons over the years for staying with a guy that cheats on her all the time. She's had her reasons for staying with a scumbag for all these years. Do you know what those reasons are? Um, she tells me it's because she loves them and they've been together for so long that she can't see herself being with anybody else. I hate what I'm about to tell you. But she gets to make that choice. She's an adult. That's what, that's what one of the individuals that the individual that I talked to about standing out of it, that's what he said. She's a grown up. Your choice is, as another grown up, what are me and my house going to do? Who are we going to be? And that's a harder conversation. It's actually easier in a way to throw grenades because the explosion is over there, it's somewhere else. And you can feel very self-righteous in doing so because there's harm being done. But if someone doesn't invite you in, someone doesn't look at you and say, help, then it's kind of, I mean, it's madness. And then you got to deal with your own home. And that hurts, man. It's a bummer. Yeah, my mom's, uh, she's coming to me often, you know, asking me things, you know, asking what I should do or asking me for advice, but she's never... She did not open this particular door. I opened it. Right. And I don't, and now that we're talking about it, um, as much as I want, I feel like you were right. I feel like I was, I was weaponizing the relationship with my dad and my son because I feel like that's something he would do. And you, I think, you see how it happened? It, you see how it happens without us realizing it? Yeah. Your old man weaponized you against your mom when he was out carousing. And yeah, that, that's for sure. In a very similar context, you have taken your son and put him right in the same line. It's just a different line. And your dad, I promise you, has some moral reason. He has convinced himself, however delusional and deranged it is. He's convinced himself, well, she never does this and she's always doing this. And so I need to, I work hard. I need a little, you know, a little fun on the side every once in a while. He's got a reason. And then strangely and weirdly, and this is how family trauma just rolls downhill without us even realizing it. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to stop. I'm trying to, I've already committed that. I, I, I've forgiven my dad for what he's done. Like, I don't beat him up over it. I don't bring it up. I don't ask him for an apology. Because the thing is, it's like, um, I, I've heard, you know, things he said, like, 
there's nothing that can really be done about the past. Like, apology's not going to help. And it's... Well, uh, apology well, would go a long way. If your old man called you and said, I was wrong, I was wrong, I'm sorry, that would be, <laughs> that'd be huge. And he meant it. <laughs> like, make no mistake, that, that would be therapeutic in a way that would be hard to describe. But I want you to pay very close attention to the world you've created. Can I be super direct with you? Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have, in, in protecting the tiny cocoon that is your wife, and you have one kid or two kids? How many kids you got? Um, well, I'm, I'm not married, but, okay. um, okay. uh, I, I, I have one son. He's, he's four years old. Okay. So you got you and your son, you against the world, right? And you've decided I am not going to be a guy that cheats. I'm not, I'm not going to be a guy that lies. I'm not, but I am going to tell anytime I see it anywhere around me, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to pick up my social media. I'm going to tell their spouse. I'm going to tell their girlfriend. I'm going to tell everybody. And in a weird way. You've repeated your dad's insistence on blowing up families. You've just decided to do it to other people instead of your own. But the impulse is the exact same. And so healing looks like, A, true forgiveness. And you haven't forgiven your old man. Because that 13-year-old is still playing Batman out there. Number one, you got to let your old man go. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean washing your hands of it. He was terrible to you. And I don't like talking bad about people's parents, but your dad was rough on you, man. Put you through the worst. And the second thing is, instead of being somebody who blows up other people's marriages for the sake of for value and for right, I'm gonna be a guy that will do whatever it takes for people I know and love to help them keep things together. Because I'm a unifier, not a blower-upper. You see the difference there? I, I do, and it's kind of, there's there's one thing where you said where it's kind of conflicting, so I'm, I'm hoping you can kind of help me elaborate a little bit. You got it. About about blowing up like other family or other marriages. Like To me, it feels like if they didn't make those decisions, that it's not me blowing it up, it's them blowing it up. They but are, but, think, but, but you don't get a vote. Yeah. It's almost as though you are running around looking for places to insert righteousness into it. And they didn't ask you for that. That, yeah. makes, that makes you a vigilante. The greatest gift you can give is to be an epicenter of such outrageous, insane peace that when, not if, but when things get off the rails in your friends' marriages, when things get off the rails in your friends' lives, they go to one person that instantly something goes sideways. Like, I got to call Eric. I'm over my head. I'm about to respond to this text. I'm about to DM this person. I got to call Eric. And if they create worlds where don't tell Eric, don't tell Eric, hey, don't invite Eric because Eric's going to be on radar alert looking for who's screwing up per his judgment. That's not the influence. That's the influence your old man has. But an influence of, now everybody knows where Eric stands. And everybody knows that Eric loves his son like we've never seen a father love a son, ever. That guy's always hugging that kid. That guy's always kissing that kid. That guy's always looking him in the eyes and saying, thank God almighty that I get to be your dad. Never seen anything like it. And then when their marriages get in trouble, they holler at you. You see the difference, man? Yeah. yeah not, it, it's a total shift. It's a total so, shift. Uh, uh, so I kind of, I have a question about that. Like, because it, this conversation is kind of felt like a big, it feels like a, a big, you know, suitcase of anger has been taken off my shoulders. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I just really want to treat my mom a lot better and I'm just not sure, I'm not sure how to do it. Like if it's even my place to do it. So now you're talking. So you're a kind of guy that honors his mom beyond what even makes sense. You're not a guy that tries to fix her marriage because she's a grown woman. She can do whatever she wants. But you're a son. Do y'all live in the same town? I'm sorry? Do y'all live in the same town? Uh, yes. Okay. You are a son. This is an identity. I'm a son who takes my mom 
on a breakfast date with me and her grandson once a week. We never miss. I'm a guy who once a week on Friday evenings, me and my four-year-old son, we make a card out of construction paper and glue and whatever, wood, nails. And we make grandma one present a week. 52 weeks, 52 presents a year. And now you're not a, your, your identity isn't, I'm not, I'm a guy that makes sure every marriage is perfect. Even though you got a kid and you're not married, right? I'm going to make sure every, that's not my identity. My identity is I'm going to be, I'm going to honor my mom to the point where she has to look in the mirror and say, oh my goodness, this is what love looks like. I am worth more than this. And that's what you can control. The relationship from your side to your mom, you can control your identity. You see the difference there, man? Yeah, I, I definitely do. It's my mom and I, we've had a, we've had a rocky relationship, especially when I was a teenager and, of course. you know, classic guys when you're 18, 19, you think you know everything. Yes. And you get older. Honestly, the best thing for her and I ever was when, when I moved out of state and then I moved back a few years later, her and I, we grew a lot closer every time. There's a great, uh, and, I think it's a Mark Twain quote, which is when I was 14, my dad was the stupidest man on the planet. I'm butchering the quote, but when I was 14, my dad was the dumbest man in the, in, in the, on the planet. And then when I came back home at the age of 21, I was stunned at how much my dad had learned in seven years. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You got some yeah. sense and got some wisdom and I got, I got some bad news for you. The bad news is as knuckleheaded as you were at 18 and 19 and you're 28 and you can see that with such wisdom and clarity, my promise is that doubles when you're 38 looking back at 28-year-old self. The things you think are right and perfect and this is the way dun, 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 at 28, I promise when you turn 40, you're like, oh man, I was way off, way off. And I want to take what you mentioned, that, that suitcase of anger. When you were at a party and you were hypervigilantly, is that a way to say that? Scanning the room to make sure everybody's doing right. You know who that's, that, that pains and hurts? You. It's exhausting. All the energy you spent trying to fix your parents' marriage that they didn't ask you to fix, all the energy you spent being pissed off at your dad for all these years, that just weighs down you. It doesn't change their behavior. doesn't fix their marriage. It just weighs down you. And you got a four-year-old little boy that's looking next, at, looking up at you at all times, absorbing you. And his one question is, why is dad so angry all the time? Why is dad so angry? It must be me. I'm going to try to fix it. I need him to see me. Because if he can just see me, he won't be so angry. And that's how this thing goes in a cycle, in a cycle, in a cycle, in a cycle. And I have no doubt in my mind, Eric, you're going to be the guy that breaks that cycle for your family. You're going to break it. Stops with me, which means I don't carry anger anymore. Except for one or two or three very big hills that I'm going to die on. I'll die on those every time. No question about it. But when it comes to the guy who was just driving down the road when I was getting here this morning with a ponytail, and his and he's got he's got a uh, license plates that are vanity plates that said Hollywood. And he cut me off. <laughs> my first impulse just started laughing. A few years ago, my first impulse would have been, "I'm going to smash the back of your car and create a huge pileup. I'll show you." And of course, I was just talking crap, and I wouldn't do any of those things. And by the time I got to work, I would be real close to a stroke slash heart attack slash diarrhea. All three of them. My body would just be like, we're just going to shut everything down. So, all I have to say is this. Stop torturing my friend Eric. My friend Eric has is an amazing guy. He's done some amazing things. And he's making some extraordinary changes. Stop carrying the anger. Stop carrying the anger. Be very intentional. I want you to write down your new identities. I'm a guy who is about keeping marriages together. Not making sure that they're all right. I'm a guy who will honor his mom. I'm a guy who will create a peaceful, non-anxious home for my son. Now you're talking 
family tree changing ways of being. And on the line, I'm gonna send you a copy of Own Your Past, Change Your Future. I want you to read that, brother. And that will walk you through all that crap you've been through and then give you a path out, my man. Thank you so much for the call. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest, right? Like a deep secret that you've never told anyone. Or maybe it's something that happened to you. Or maybe it's something you've done that you're ashamed about or worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption across your life. All of us, every single one of us, have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this all the time, secrets will kill you. But it's often so hard to know where to start. If you need to get something off your chest and you don't have a safe person to talk to, you may want to try therapy. Therapy is a safe, effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get those heavy things off my chest. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's super flexible, and it's suited to fit your schedule, whatever your schedule happens to be. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra money. Listen, it's time to get those secrets off your chest. Start with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go out to, let's go back to Canada and talk to Chantel with a pretty face. What's up, Chantel? Hi, how are you? Partying. What are you up to? Uh, not partying. I'm not, not either. Really I just though. lied to you. I just straight lied to you on my show. Sorry, I'm not. I'm just at work. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let, let's figure it out, dude. What's up? Um, so four years ago, I was a cyclist hit by a truck. Uh, oh, no. Very my injuries. <laughs> Yeah. Yikes. The process to heal both uh, legal and medically um, uh, are still ongoing so for, for very long years. Good grief. Um, the length of time passing is just like picking an old wound over and over and over again when I just want to heal and get past it. How can I rebuild my resilience when time and obligations keep beating me down? Oof. How honest can I be with you? Very. You're not going to like it, Chantel. Can we still be friends? I'm used to tough realities. <laughs> Do what? I'm very used to tough realities. Okay. The moment you decide I'm going to stop trying to get past all of this and instead shift your body energy and your focus to I'm going to metabolize this as this is my life. This is a part of my one tiny little precious life then resilience can begin to do its work and grow roots in you. Right now, you have an electric leaf blower and you keep blowing the soil off and the roots can't take hold because you're waiting for this thing to be over and you keep cleaning it all off. You've been through hell. What are some of your injuries involved in this rack? Double... Like two types of brain bleed, double pneumothorax, broken ribs. Um, I almost lost my left leg and I had to relearn how to walk. Uh, I have an ostomy. I had to have bladder surgery. I probably will never be able to get pregnant. Uh, pretty, pretty awful. And how has the medical system navigating that mess in Canada been? Amazing. Like I have um, excellent excellent health care and excellent support. And even though, you know, COVID forced some surgeries to take a long time to get around to me because I was no longer emergent after, you know, you've patched up enough to be alive. um, I've gotten surgeries that have increased my quality of life, which I'm thankful for. Wonderful. Um, What about the legal mess? Oh, God. (laughs) Legal mess is a mess. Um, up here in Canada, we have a process known as the catastrophic process when you have injuries as severe as mine. Um, and it's just long. You know, it's going to take a long time to settle because 
they're looking forward in my life and the quality of my life, you know, 10, 20 years from now and what these injuries mean since they're so life altering. Mm -hmm. So that's still ongoing. Okay. What have you done in the last four years to begin to reimagine and live your life? I haven't been able to. Um, I've been in it. Like it's been four long years of uh, five or six appointments a week, legal or medical, multiple surgeries. We're talking seven to eight surgeries. Who's paying your bills? Uh, Well, here in Canada, like our medical is covered. Thank God. Um, And what about your rent? Oh, you're back at work. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I went back to work. Yeah. Okay. Good for you. So resilience is not something you can think your way to. Resilience is a scratching and clawing one centimeter at a time, one inch at a time. And you look back without thinking. You turn your head and you realize you have crawled and scratched and clawed a mile. And you're not scrawling, you're not scratching and clawing anymore. You're suddenly up, you're you're crawling on all fours. And then you look up and you've got another mile. And you've got calluses on your hands and on your feet and on your knees. And then you put one foot down and you stand up. See what I'm saying? Resilience is formed on one step after one step after one step. Not on this idea that I'm past all of this. And what I promise you, I promise you, you are stronger than you could possibly imagine. Chantel, you got hit by a truck and you and I are still talking. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to be here and I'm, I acknowledge that and I accept it. Hold on. But I was, hold on, um, hold on, hold on. You're lucky to be here. Yes, period. Move that over to the side. You are a gangster. You're a badass. You're still here. You're not giving Chantel the credit Chantel deserves. I feel like I've mentally accepted that though. Like that was then and this is four years later and I want more. There I you want go. more than what do you, to have lit. Tell me, what do you want? I mean, I used to run marathons okay. and I was an ecstatic person. Are you and ever going to be able to run a marathon I, again? No. Okay. We have to grieve that. That's a significant loss. That is a heartbreaking loss. That is you sitting down and writing a letter to Chantel, the marathon runner. Remember when? And now those days are over. This is sitting with a couple of girlfriends that you really, really trust and having written a letter to future Chantel to let her know we may not have babies. And that was a part of our ride, dude. That was going to be part of it. It's sitting in that ugly. And being... What if I feel like I've been sitting in the ugly for too long and I just want to go? Like You can, but I don't think you're... I don't... I think you sat in the mess, but there's some intentionality. You sat in it, but there's there's work, right? So if you if you're sewer uh, here here at my house, I live out in the woods here, so I've got a septic tank. It's not connected to the sewer, right? I can go sit in the septic tank if it's if it's got a, if it's broken. It's disgusting. I can't think of a grosser thing to do. I can go sit in my septic tank. I can sit in there for years, but there's there's nothing productive that I've done. There. I've done any of the work. And if I tried to go back inside my house, my wife would be like, get away from my front porch. And I'd end up just outside. I'd end up in the wilderness, right? So there's something about using the, being intentional in the darkness instead of just sitting in it and then wishing I wasn't in it anymore. I don't want you in it either. But I also want you to, to, to with both hands, grab a hold of reality. And that's so hard, man. Because this wreck took everything from you. It took your passions. It took your future. Took this this picture you had of what a family might look like. You're going to have a family that's going to look different. But this is what this picture was going to look like. And here's the process. And it took that from you. 
That's a, that's a, that's a stone cold reality that happened. And then what comes next? So you can't, you can't run marathons. What's next? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. No, you got to say it. You've thought of something. You've looked it up on the internet during one of your dark nights of the soul. What is it? I haven't. Maybe I'm just too stuck on what was part of the healing process. Part of part of the counseling, you know, with therapists and physios has been. Maybe got to let it go. Maybe you got to find a new passion. But I don't know how. I haven't found something that breathes the same light to my soul yet. There was a moment years before you ran a marathon, your first marathon. When like my seven-year-old little girl just takes off running through the yard and her little blonde hair is flying all backwards and she's running so slow, but she thinks she is running a thousand miles an hour. And she can run for about 50 yards before she's sucking wind. <gasps> Can't breathe. And that was the genesis of her wanting to run more and more. And there was a moment when that was you. It was a few steps that put wind in your hair and put a smile on your face. And over time, that turned into marathons. What you have to be willing to do, the, the bravery you've got in your guts, the courage, the moment of courage you've got in front of you is this. I got to take a few steps towards something. With one day, I might be able to run a marathon, whatever that looks like. I'm going to pick up a guitar and I'm going to figure out how to play this thing because one day I might play live. I am going to start a women's group for people who get hit by trucks and it's going to be awkward and weird and so uncomfortable because one day I might help heal families. I'm going to start the adoption process. You see what I'm saying? Yep. I can't tell you how bad the world needs you take another step just in a new direction are you in I'm in here's your first two steps I want you to write Chantel the 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 athlete the runner a letter and tell her what an honor it was to do life with her how much fun y'all had how many adventures you went on and then to as you end that letter the last half page the last two pages let her know, and life threw us a curveball. Actually, life hit us with like a truck. And now we're going to have to make some changes. And it's been an honor. And we're going to do something different now. And that's not going to be the insta-cure, but what we're going to begin to do is teach our body that that was then, and that was a part of me, that will always be a part of me. And that part is that season is over. And now what's going to come next? And I promise you, if you spend some time, maybe you can't see it, but sit with a couple of girlfriends and say, we, we got to come up with 10 things and I got to try them. I got to take 50 yard dash in 10 different directions. Not literally, but figuratively, 50 yard dash in, in either direction. Remember seven-year-old Chantel running for the first time, just sprinting her little heart out. What's that next step? Resilience is not something you can just wake up and have. It's something that you find. It's a strength. And strength comes from pushing against heavy things, against resistance. That's where strength comes from. I promise you, you're worth it. I promise you. I promise you. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me... And everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, as we wrap up today's show, we are starting a new way that we're going to end the show for a, for a minute, for a little bit. And I don't, I'm going to call it the opinion of the day, not the song of the day, John's opinion of the day. All right, Kelly, you were just telling me Google searches are at an all-time high for what? 
uh, where do I make friends and how do I make friends? They're seeing uh, just astronomical jumps in Google searches for those two things. How do I make friends? And where do I make friends? Where do I make friends? John Deloney's opinion of the day. Stop Googling that question and just go. Go. Just ask three weirdos from work over to your house and don't clean up. Don't clean up. Tell them just bring whatever you think. Well, Kelly said needs to clean up because it's, let's be honest. But like, I'm just saying, you're, it's weird. I'm like an OCD neat freak. So I know, don't even. I know. I know. Except you're getting tattoos and you are not OCD about those. But listen, go make friends. Go find some people at work. Find some people at your in your softball league. And if you don't have one of those, join it. You know you got some bro downs at the gym. Y'all go hang out. It's like, hey, y'all want to go eat, drink protein shakes together and just like rub protein powder in our hair? I don't know what you're going to do. Go to church. Go find whatever it is. Stop Googling these freaking questions. Go be weird. Go first. Go first. You are not going to find making friend life change on Google. The four steps to making friends just go. It's going to be awkward. You're going to get rejected. You're going to get denied. It's going to suck. You're going to feel like a loser and go again and go again and go again. And my promise to you is if you will go out and be fully all you, just your weird little self, you'll end up with two or three people or four people who are all in. Until one of them votes weird. And then y'all can make fun of them. And then you are all friends again. And then one of them will get married. Somebody will have their ninth kid. Whatever happens. And they may fade away. That's part of life. Stop Googling this question. Just go. Just go. You know you gotta just go. Just go. Listen, you are worth having friends. And you're worth being friends with. I love you guys. This is the... (laughs) I was gonna say... I, I, I forgot the name of the show. Peace out, y'all. Stay in school. Don't do drugs.